like you mean i'm sitting in my pajamas and you clocking me like i don't like real like, <laughs> like you like people who have children who are teaching school like what are we doing to people why are we treating people that way we're, we're losing uh, a sense of i guess humanness in how we work and we've got to we've got to rethink that like we have to hey thriver happy black history month listen black history is american history and i don't know about you but there is so much to celebrate 365 days of the year we just put a little extra umph on it in the month of february so i hope that you and your organization has some amazing plans to commemorate the legacy of black history black leaders black icons who have paved the way for so much of the freedom and flexibility from technology to medicine to even the corporate space that we experience today and also i hope that in this month that we celebrate black history we are also looking for opportunities to advance black professionals that are within our reach so stay tuned for more of how we over at career thrivers are going to be helping to advance black professionals stay tuned helping you own your career and speaking of ownership if you've been tuning in with us for season two of the career thrivers podcast then i hope you caught last week's episode on owning your way to a more fulfilling career y'all that episode was so bomb and we are just taking it to another level today and i'm so thrilled so if you've been rocking with us for the last few episodes you know a couple things one you know that our word for 2021 is bold we are all about making bold moves this year And in addition to that, as we're making bold moves, we are dissecting what does that even mean? What does bold even mean? So the B that we talked about to kick things off. And if you missed it, let me let you know it's episode 21. You can go back and listen to it. But we talked about beliefs. Beliefs is the B of bold. Last episode, I just shared with you, we talked about the O, which is ownership. And today we are diving into the L, which is all about leadership. And there's so much that we could talk about with leadership. Career Thrivers is a leadership development firm and leadership is a broad, broad topic. But today we are going to get really, really focused on strengths-based leadership. And we have the perfect person that is going to be joining on the mic with me in just a moment to share with us what does that mean? What does strengths-based leadership look like, not only in our career, but also in our life? And so we have Crystal Clark with us. She is a native of Virginia, but she is right here in Nashville, Tennessee. In fact, she is a director over at Vanderbilt. She's the director of employee learning and organizational effectiveness. You're going to get to hear her dead talk. She's going to be sharing her career development story and how she has transitioned and navigated. And one thing that you're going to hear, and I hope that you really, really, really tune into is how she has owned her career, right? We're talking about bold this year, how she's owned her career by knowing what her strengths are and leaning into them. The other insight that I hope that you take away from this episode, in addition to that, is that she also worked with leaders who recognized her strengths, who acknowledged and affirmed her strengths, even to the point, I don't know if I want to give this away or not. I'm just going to go ahead and let you in on it. Even to the point, I'll just say it like this, that opportunities were created around her strengths. And let me just say something right here before we get into this dynamic conversation with this absolutely brilliant woman who is a past president of the Junior League of Nashville. She is the current chair of the Women's Fund Advisory Board for the Community Foundation of Nashville, or excuse me, of Middle Tennessee. And she's also currently the vice chair of the board of directors at the Billcourt Theater. And we're talking about strengths because she knows a thing or two as a Gallup certified Clifton Strengths coach. So we've got the woman in the seat that we need to learn from when we talk about this idea of strengths-based leadership. 
a black woman who was powerful, who was brilliant, and who had allies that recognized her strengths. And so I want you to listen into, we talk a lot about allyship at Career Thrivers and what it means, and not just the awareness of it, but the associated actions. And one of those associated actions is how do you create opportunities for people who aren't like you in recognition of their leadership and their strengths. And you're going to hear some awesome examples of that in Crystal's story. So I'm excited for you to tap in. Also in celebration of Black History Month, we have a recommended reading list that I want to make sure that you tap into. It's actually a part of a broader toolkit of resources to help you own and thrive in your career. So you can head on over to Brittany N. Cole. Dot com. That's me. I'm your host, Brittany Cole. That's two T's A N Y, Brittany N Cole.com slash toolkit. And in there, you will see a recommended reading list that has wonderful, wonderful, wonderful black authors that you can not only support, but learn from. So there are some amazing books in there, like The Memo by Minda Hartz. That is an absolute must read for any leader who is committed to a more inclusive workplace. Believe Bigger by Marshawn Evans Daniels is in there. If you're looking to discover the path to your life purpose so that you choose a career that's in alignment with a purpose-driven life, absolutely recommend that book. Carla Harris's Expect to Win is a part of that recommended reading list. I mean, there are so many hits, like must read books for thriving in your career, business and life in that toolkit. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't let you know that my brand new book, Thrive Through It, is also in there. And you can get a sneak peek early access if you haven't had a chance to order your copy yet. And if you want to order a copy either for you or for a friend or a colleague, make sure you click on the shopping tab and you can use the code thrive together to save $10 on any of the orders. We've also got access. If you have a team of over 15 people or a group and you want access to company pricing for a group order, you can check that out as well. So let's get into this episode. Welcome back to another episode of the career thrivers podcast and What I'm excited about is this conversation that we're about to let y'all in on. (laughs) So welcome, Crystal Clark, to the show. Oh, gosh. Hello. Hello. (laughs) I feel like, Crystal, we kind of like already had some of the conversation, but then we're like, you know, we probably should let the listeners in. So, you know, we're going to let y'all in to um, our little conversation (laughs) today. We're recording this on a Friday. So, and you know, it's been interesting, Crystal, like, doing these interviews on Friday, I feel like they're just much more like free flowing and just people are like, what do you want to ready to release? They're like, what do you want to know? I'll tell you it all. Yeah, exactly. And I am loving it. So as you know, we've been kicking off our little mini series entitled Dev Talks, just giving people an opportunity to hear different stories about how people have journeyed through their career that may not be on your bio or even on your resume. So um, I'll kick it over to you to tell us a little bit about your career story. Yeah, so my career story, it's really all about, I loved college. Like I loved it. I'm a first generation college student and when I left home to go to college, it was only like an hour away. So it's like I went to, I'm from Virginia. It's like I went to California. I went to Colonial Williamsburg, which is where we went to shop at the outlets. And there's a college there. That's where I went. And Bush Gardens is down the road. Like, it, so I went, I went to college an hour away from home and I fell in love with the whole experience. And while I was there, I majored in psychology and sociology. And the only reason I majored in sociology was because my psychology department didn't want me to talk about race. So I, they didn't have anyone in the department who could specialize in that. So when I was really talking about, well, this is the project that I want to do, they were like, well, that's not really us. Mm. And I had taken a sociology class and I was like, oh, these people talk about everything over here. Like we're talking about race and class and all the stuff that I really wanted to dig into. And so I decided to just major in both of them. I had gone so far in psychology that I was like, I'm not giving this up. 
um, but I'm going to add this other thing to it. And on top of that, I was just a very involved college student. You know, if you can think of it, I did it. I signed up for it. I filled out the application. I worked. My mother didn't know I was working, um, but I worked on campus, um, multiple jobs. I was a tour guide. I was in admissions, orientation. I worked at the rec center. I worked in the archaeology department. Don't ask why, but it was good money. And I just, I, I had a great time, you know? And finally, I realized that there were people on campus who help students like me, who are first generation, who are from a low SES. Um, and I went to a public schools and found myself at a very rigorous academic institution with students who had come from some of the best schools in the country. And there were moments of, whoo, can I hack it? There were moments of imposter syndrome. There were moments of just not knowing. I, I didn't know how to work the system. And there were people on campus, full-time professionals who were like, you come talk to us. We help you figure everything out. And I was like, who are these glorious humans? Are these like kindergarten teachers who just decided to come work at a college? And they're like, uh, no, ma'am, we got degrees. Like, this is like a thing. And I went, oh, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. How do I do that? And then they said, okay. And they helped coach me into being someone who could go and work in student affairs. Someone who could understand the college campus, understand the college student, and be that resource to them. And um, I think what really got me, I was an intern in undergraduate admissions, and I was helping to plan the day for admitted students. And, you know, we were student leaders, so we thought we had it all together, but we probably didn't. But when we needed to get it done, I like it all turned on and I was hosting the talent show. I was giving tours. I was like I was doing all of it. And at the end of the day, I was exhausted and I was the happiest I'd ever been. And I looked at okay. the guy I was dating at the time and I said, I want to do that every day. And he was like, well, I think I think you can make that happen. I think you can do that every day. <laughs> and so I decided that I would go to graduate school and I would get my master's in education in college student personnel. Um, I ended up going to University of Maryland College Park, which was a fantastic opportunity for me. Now, I'm a girl who I had never been on a plane until I was a senior in college. My mother still has not been on a plane. She refuses. She doesn't understand it. She's not doing it. Um, my brother was in the Air Force for like 14 years. Wow. <laughs> and as, an, and as, you know, as a trained air traffic controller. And my mother's like, now I'm really not getting on a plane. Like, so, like they're letting you sit up there and, and direct traffic. I don't know about this. That's crazy. So, you know, going to Maryland for my mom was like, what do you mean you're going to Maryland? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, Maryland touches Virginia. And she's like, I don't, I don't get it. There are schools in the state. And I said, well, I'm going to go to Maryland. And she said, well, how are you going to get there for your interview? And I said, I'm going to catch the train. And so, <laughs> you know, I had to, I had to figure out these things because my, my mom is amazing, but she was like, I don't, I've never done these things. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, here's my plan. I bought a, a, a ticket on the Amtrak. I'm going to go up there. I have a place to stay. And she was like, okay, all right. <laughs> and so I went up there and did my interview and got accepted. And she's like, how are you going to pay for it? And I was like, we're going to figure it out. And I got a graduate assistantship. I had campus housing. I lived in a fraternity house for two years. That's how I paid for graduate school with 34 men of Pi Kappa Alpha fraternity. My address was number two fraternity row for two years. And <laughs> because of living on campus, I didn't have to have a car. <laughs> Try not to interrupt you, but I'm like, oh my goodness. Like. <laughs> so, so that, that I, was a, I was a residential fellow. And so I, I had three meals a day. If I didn't make it home for dinner, I had a late plate. I got paid twice a week. The Metro stop was a short walk away from the house. I could walk to class. Um, it was the highest paid. I was rich when I was a grad student. I didn't have to pay rent. I didn't have to pay bills. I was, right. I was in DC loving life, girl. I would get on the Metro, girl. <laughs> you couldn't tell me anything. And I, <laughs> the guys gave really great Christmas presents. I've got some great designer purses. So like I, 
that's what I did. I went to graduate school and loved Maryland and found my way. Uh, Maryland is a, it was a program. It still is a program that greatly values identity work Mm -hmm. and work about diversity and inclusion and multiculturalism. And so I was able to do that work at a deeper level. Um, And then they greatly value leadership work. And so I found myself teaching courses about leadership, contributing to manuscript scripts about leadership, lots of conferences about leadership, being facilitators for different experiences for students in leadership. And then I was living in a fraternity house, which was a test ground for anything and everything, girl. Like I've seen it all, Right. okay? (laughs) Nothing surprises me ever, ever. I'm immune. So um, the thing about me was that I was not affiliated with a sorority when I went to graduate school. Um, I took that job because money, great idea. I have no debt from grad school, none. But I also knew that if I wanted to excel in higher ed, if I wanted to be a dean of students, a chancellor, a president, I was going to have to understand fraternity and sorority life. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know what, this is totally outside of my wheelhouse, but I'm going to meet this. So I'm going to go ahead and immerse myself in it, which I think is a tip for people. Get ready, right? Be forward looking, figure out what you're going to need to get to that next step and get into it. Because those are such huge organizations on many college campuses that you're going to have to understand how to work within those communities. You just are and how to balance all that comes with them. The other thing about Fraternity Story Life is that you're basically running a university in one office. I had to do judicial, I had to do residence life, I had to do budgeting, I had to do counseling, I was a student health center. I, like it was, it, was, it was everything. Like living with those men, I, I did everything. I was doing diversity programs, we were planning crab feasts, we were planning um, skits, like we were, we were doing everything, right? I was making goodie bags with like, you know, student health information and girl, it was just a lot. <laughs> I was a relationship counselor, like I was everything. Yeah, add that in, therapist. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, interior decorator, like everything. Um, you know, maintenance person, you know, <laughs> you name it. I had to exterminator, whatever, it, it all had to happen. And so it was just a lot of skills, a lot of transferable skills Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that you're then able to take with you wherever you want to go. Um, And so I, you know, I did that for two years and um, people were like, you must, I mean, because I I would probably wake up 2.30 in the morning every day for those two years because I was living with 34 college men who I love dearly. And when I say that, I love them. And I'm so proud of where so many of them are in their life right now. But at that time, girl, girl, so <laughs> girl, like it's, oh my gosh. I can so, only imagine. Being I mean, the, the books that I could write. I could only imagine. But you know, there's, there's mutual respect there. And oh. like I said, I mean, men who have fantastic careers, they have beautiful families, but oh Lord of people. Oh gosh. So we had our time and you know. So then when I graduated, when I was about to graduate, I obviously knew that I wanted to still work at college and university. What, what, I don't think people know this, but I went into student affairs to work in multicultural affairs. I went there to do diversity and inclusion work. Mm. That person at my alma mater has such an impact on me that I wanted to be that person. And then I found myself in fraternity and story life. And I thought, huh, if there's ever a place that needs some diversity and inclusion work, it might be fraternity and sorority life. So I know I'm never going to be bored. (laughs) There's a lot of work that needs to get done here. And there's so many other ways that will enrich my experience. And here's the thing. I did not want to be pigeonholed. I did not want to be the black woman who everyone saw as a black woman who works in multicultural affairs. And that's what she does. And that's all that she will ever do. And that is a very easy hole to fall down. Mm -hmm. So I said to myself, I care about this work, but we need people who can do this work everywhere. So why not be someone in fraternity and sorority life who can, can lead and who can educate through that lens? 
that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. I ended up working, I worked at Duke University for four years um, in Bull City and loved it. Um, I still love Duke basketball to this day. And I went there and um, did fraternity story life, advised the Panhellenic sororities, did leadership programming for our community and absolutely loved it until I didn't love it anymore. (laughs) I think one of the things that no one had taught me, you know, your whole life is timed, right? Like, you know, when you're going to graduate, the bell rings, it's time to go to another class. Your mama wakes you up. It's time like, you know, Mm -hmm. so here I am and I'm in my early twenties and I'm like, you mean I'm supposed to quit this job? Like how, like, how does that work? Like, isn't someone supposed to tell me? And they're like, well, they could fire you, but that's not what you want. (laughs) But I didn't understand what it meant to get to a place with a job and go, okay, I'm, I'm walking away. I didn't understand that. Mm -hmm. And so I probably stayed a year too long. And, you know, life is what it is. And so someone entered the scene because <laughs> you don't leave jobs, you leave supervisors, right? That's it. And so That's someone it. entered the scene and I was like, and this is the Lord. <laughs> and I remember talking to one of my colleagues and I don't even know if he would ever even remember this conversation. And I said to him, because I think often when you work with students, it is very easy to get stuck in a place of, I have to stay here for them. Mm, yes. They need me, right? I, I met them when they were a first year student. They come to me every day because you build these amazing, like there are students from Duke who I still talk to and I love them and we follow each other and we care about each other. If we are in the same place, we see each other, like you get involved in their world. And it's like, well, I can't, well, they're just going to miss me. Like, oh my gosh, you know? And he looked at me and he said, so you do realize that these kids graduate every four years, like (laughs) they are going to leave you. And you're like, oh yeah. And I'm like, but you know, it's Duke. And he's like, yeah, but you know, at any moment in time, Duke can decide they don't need you anymore. So how about you own that power of that relationship and realize that you too can also decide that you don't need Duke anymore. And I was like, well, I had to drop my sandwich. You know what I mean? Like I had to like, listen. (laughs) And and no one had ever broken it down to me like that before. And I was like, okay, here we are. And I went to a conference and there was a job available at Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt's obviously a great school. And the person who was running the office at Vanderbilt had a really great reputation. Like people loved her in the field and she stood up and she announced it. And I had my friends who were sitting with me. I started getting elbows, elbows in the ribs. And like people were whispering. I'm like, y'all shut up. Like we're in the middle of a conference. Like they're like, you need to apply for that job. You need to go talk to her. And I was like, all right, fine. So I get up and I go back there And I met by a friend of mine and she's like, hey, so we start chatting. And I said, well, I'm trying to figure out this job at Vanderbilt. And she was like, oh, I know the person you'd be supervising. He's right here. And she introduced me to CJ, who is now one of my great friends and and was, you know, a colleague for a while. And we start chatting and he's like, oh, okay. Another black man. He's like, oh, yeah. So, yeah. You know what I mean? Let me get you in here. Let's get all these other folks out. Let's get you in here. And I met Kristen. And the next thing you know, I applied for the role. And the next thing you know, I had it. And, uh, you know, Kristen's like, I hire well. She's very proud of my existence. She's like, this is all me. And it's very funny. She's not like dangerously taking credit, but she's like, I hire her. I brought her to the city. Everyone should be thankful. You know, and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And so I came here in 2011 as the associate director of Greek life. And did that for about a year and a half and then said, no, I don't want to do this anymore either. So I was about to leave Vanderbilt. So I had to leave Vanderbilt. I was about to leave Nashville. It's about to be done. My mom was like, Nashville might as well be Antarctica. She was like, what is this? You know, <laughs> my family drove me here from, they came from Portsmouth, Virginia to Durham Mm-hmm. We drove from Durham to Knoxville because my mom said that was too much driving. We're going to spend the night in Knoxville. My brother's like, it's like two and a half more hours. Like, 
just this push. Right. She's like, no, we all need to sleep. We stop in Knoxville to sleep and then we drive to Nashville. We have a hotel room all the way in Opryland. I live in Bellevue. And I was like, Ma, who planned this trip? <laughs> She's like, well, I didn't know. Like, I didn't know. I just got a room. Fine. She's never been back. Okay. Like, she's <laughs> never been back. <laughs> she has never been back. So <laughs> I'm about, I'm done. Like, I'm literally having, I'm like, oh, I cannot believe I moved all the way to Nashville, came to school. Like, oh my God, what is this? You know? Mm-hmm. I jump on a committee that is called, it's like a leadership development committee. They're trying to redesign leadership development for students at, in our division. And I'm like, well, I got to do something. And I've always loved leadership development. I've done leadership development programs really my entire life, high school on. I've always been in things like I've always cared about. It, I've always loved it. So I jump on this committee and we work, we come up with this white paper, we have a proposal for a new office, we come up with a competency model, all this stuff. And I go out to lunch with my boss's boss one day and he was like, I hear you're having a hard time, you know? And I was like, yeah, I'm about to go. Like, I can't, <laughs> can't do this anymore. And he was like, well, could you just hold on for a little bit longer? And I was like, but why am I holding? He's like, just hold on. And so the proposal that we had come up with was being pushed through. And he was like, so how about you do this? Like, how about you just make this happen? Mm. And I was like, oh, he's like, yeah. He's like, you've worked on it. He's like, we know you've got what it takes. So how about you just do this? And we'll just move you out of Greek life and you'll open this brand new unit within the Dean of Students at Vanderbilt. And you will, you know, be the person in charge of this program. And, you know, you can, we'll give you some staff, you can hire us, like, you know, do this thing. And I said, okay, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Great. So part of it was that, you know, I, I always tell people, you know, that was a, you know, it's one of those, you know, you got to stay ready so you don't have to get ready moments. Mm-hmm. But it's also about when someone says, do you want to be on this committee? <laughs> do you want to be in this meeting? If it's something that interests you, get into it. Cause you never know where it's going to go. You never know where it's going to go. And I got in there and I did the work. I was vocal. I brought in my expertise. I had so much from Maryland and everyone's like, oh my gosh. And I had taught all these courses. I knew all the literature. I knew all the right people. And I just brought it in there and dumped it out. And it was like, oh, this girl, like, this isn't like, she's not just like a sorority person. Like she, there's a lot going on here. And I was like, yeah. So I, Mm -hmm. right. And so then I spent from 2000, oh gosh, 13 to 2020 running that office, which was great most days, right? <laughs> most days it was great. All days, no, but most days it was great. Yeah. And what I will say about Vanderbilt, well, and my boss specifically at Vanderbilt, um, allowed me to have a life outside of Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And appreciated the work that I was doing in the community, um, which I'm very grateful and thankful for. And then I got to a point where I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I'm good. I think I'm, I'm, I'm done. And I was like, oh, wow, here we go again. Mm-hmm. So what do you want to do now? But this time it was bigger. I didn't want to be student facing anymore. It wasn't just that I wanted to work with students differently. I was like, I'm done with working. I'm, I'm done. I'm done with these late night meetings. I'm done with the 18 year old. Like I can't, like I'm out, tapped out, which is difficult when I guess that's what I thought I was supposed to be doing for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh man, this is what I went to school for. And like, you know, was this a mistake? And, you know, your career in a healthy or unhealthy manner is a part of your identity. So when you start having to go, well, wait, that's not who I am. It it makes you question a lot, right? And it causes sadness and frustration and disappointment and like confusion because it's a part of who you are. It's what you do every day. Mm -hmm. It's it's how you introduce yourself, right? It's, It's a thing. 
And so I was like, well, what do you, oh, people know me as the person who works with students. Like, this is how people know me. So now what am I supposed to do? And what is it that I really am unhappy about? Because sometimes I think we, you know, we throw the baby out with the (laughs) bathwater instead of doing the true analysis of like, but why are you really unhappy? And what I realized was that I still love higher ed. Mm -hmm. I realized that I am an educator at my core. I've been an educator since I started teaching my doll babies, you know, whatever I learned from school. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I, that I've been that per my mom, I would come home every day and teach. She's like, Oh my God, this girl's just talking to a bunch of stuffed animals. I guess that's healthy, whatever. You know what I mean? She's, she's not bothering me. It seems fine. You know what I mean? So I've always been an educator, but I had discovered, so we had a lack of professional development opportunities in my division. Mm -hmm. And so my office said, well, we'll pick up the slack. We're trying to build relationships. We're trying to work with our students. We have to make sure that our staff understands the best way to work with students because this is not just our job. It's everyone's job. So we saw a gap and we filled it and we started doing staff-based programming. Well, we thought that maybe a few people would show up from our division and we would look up and we're like, who are these people? And they would come from all corners of the campus. They were like, well, somebody forwarded me the email and I saw this. Can I come? Can I bring my whole team? Well, can you do this work for us? On Like, can you? And so and we were like, oh, OK, like there is a, a need. And that's where I started to find my happiness at work was those programs. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, so maybe what I'm being told is that students are not my focus anymore. I want to invest in the people who are working with the students. I want to make sure that they are doing well, that they feel equipped, right? That they are engaged in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, I think that's what it is. So I think it's also about how do you look around you for gaps that need to be filled? And do you have the capacity to fill those gaps? And you have no idea where that can take you. Because then when it was time to apply for this HR job, I was like, well, listen, these are the programs I've created. Here's the numbers, right? Here, here, here's, I've done it. I've done it at this place. These people know me and trust me. I've been in everybody's business. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) And it was like, oh, oh, and I'm, but if I had never done that, if I had said, oh, whatever, I may not have been able to step into this role. So you've got to look for those other opportunities. Yes. So I'm sitting at home during the pandemic, (laughs) very unhappy to be at home because I was not happy to be at work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The students are gone. Um, and I'm like, whew, you know, I can't go back to Vanderbilt like this. Mm. So I need to use this time to do some deep reflection and figure out what is the exit plan? What's the next step? Like, what is it? This is not a great time to be looking for a job. I'm like, Crystal, you're crazy. Like, it's a pandemic. Like, what, like, who, who was, like, what are you talking about? The first thing that people are cutting, you know, are learning and development. And, and I'm like, first hey, thing. Iris, <laughs> first thing. Like, and I'm like, no, that's what I, but I just, I'm, <laughs> but that's what I want to do. And my mom, everyone's like, what are you talking about? So I'm sitting at home trying to figure out how to do this. Am I going to go corporate? I don't know. Is there another institution of higher education that perhaps we'll see? We'll look. I get a phone call from a friend at Vandy who works in human resources. I was on a committee with her at Vanderbilt. And, you know, I had showed up well. I had done the work. I facilitated some workshops. You know, I was myself. I I did it. We, you know, had a good relationship. She calls me and she's like, hey, two jobs are opening. You need to apply. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's like one of those clandestine, hey, girl, you know, like, (laughs) She's like, yeah, here are the roles that are opening. We're posting them this week. Get your stuff together. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Click up. That's it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I was like, all right, it's time to get my stuff together. So I got my stuff together. I hit submit. 
And, you know, a few interviews later, I had a new job. So I'm sitting here, you know, alone celebrating that I had this new job. <laughs> my mom's like, thank the Lord, you know, like, <laughs> my brother's like, you got a job. Like, what are you talking about? You know, and I'm like, yeah, I'm still at Vanderbilt, but I'm doing this and doing that. And my, my mom's like, you kids. She's like, I just, this is outside of her realm of possibility. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. She worked at the same place for, for decades, you know? Mm-hmm. So now I have this new role, which is fantastic. And here I am working every day in it and uh, feeling good about it. Yeah. So that's where I, that's how I am, where I am today. That's the, the journey. So. And, and what a journey. I mean, Crystal, there's so much, first of all, I just had to say so much similarities. Like I totally had the bed full of stuffed animals and dolls and was talking to them. Like I was facilitating something or like repeating my dad's sermon from that Sunday. Like, I don't know. We just had all kinds of great learning sessions on my peach and cream lace comforter. And they were all lined up. They had a specific spot. I know this is your spot. Okay. And yeah, they had to be lined up accordingly and we held class. So I just, I love that. I I was not alone in that. Listen, they would get in trouble. They were having side conversations. You know, the most educated stuffed animals. I would love to know where they are now. Like I would love, that's the podcast I want to hear. Where are they now? Stuffed animal edition. You know, just learning all the things. <laughs> like, like, who is she talking to in there? Like, oh my gosh, I, I love that. But in addition to that, like, one, you like took us all the way back to, not all the way back, the just last our last episode, we had Jasmine Sweet on talking about owning your path, and like at every turn that you shared with us, there's this sentiment of. You wonder why people are where they are, how they are able to get promoted in a pandemic. It's because they have ownership of their career. They're not waiting for somebody to tap them on the shoulder and be like, hey, have you thought about this? Or like, you know, searching online, like they're in they're in the trenches working, but not just working as in your case on your job responsibilities, but leveraging those additional plus one opportunities, additional projects, whatever you call them. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you spoke about like, you know, sometimes we think like, that's not my job, or I don't want to take on that extra work. And it's like, actually that could be the gateway to the very thing that you want to do that no one has ever done before. Cause you get to create it as you're doing it. Like that's Absolutely. powerful. So Absolutely. powerful. Absolutely. And people see you doing it and they're like, who is that? Who is that girl? Yeah. That one. Let's invite her over here. Mm-hmm. You just, you just don't know. And I know it takes um, effort, right? And I know it takes energy. I'm not discounting that at all. Right. But you got to like play the long game. Totally. You know what I mean? Totally. You, you got to do it. You got to keep your eyes open. Yeah. And absolutely. it helps you with that branding piece too. Like you mentioned, people saw you as the sorority person and now not even not even knowing your your leadership background so speaking of leadership and we're talking about leadership yeah. on on this episode tell us a little bit about strengths-based leadership like what does that mean yeah. and how does that show up you know I think that a lot of us spend our life trying to fix ourselves mm-hmm. we live from a deficit model perspective and I think it it honestly I think it causes a lot of issues with our morale. It causes a lot of issues with our engagement, with our mental health, mm-hmm. that we always just feel like we're not enough, right. right? We're always trying to play catch up and we're playing the comparison game. But when do we really look in and go, I have amazing things to offer, right? I have talents and skills and gifts and strengths and I do things well. And I don't think we have that conversation enough with ourselves, Mm-hmm. We think we just have to become the next person and we have to become just like them. And one of the quotes that really, you know, is the foundation of Clifton Strengths, you know, which is the new name of it. You've probably taken Strengths Finder or Strengths Quest, you know, is that you can't become anything that you want to be, but you can become more of who you already are. Mm. Right. And so there are people in this world, I will never be them. Right. I, I will never have that personality characteristic. You should never make me the treasurer or anything or finance director. You'll have no money. But like <laughs> the books, it'll be, you're like, what? It, I don't know. There's crayon. You, it won't work. But I can become more of crystal, right? And right. There, there are things that I do very well that you can pretty much depend on me to do well 
regardless of where you find me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I want people to do is to become aware of those things and to be able to tap into them to make sure that they can get to a place of excellence just by being them. Mm -hmm. And we've all got that stuff. Everybody's got their something. We've all got that, that stuff, you know, you know, I, I was, um, one of my strengths, I'm a, I'm a maximizer. <laughs> so I always like to, everything can be better, right? Yep. Get a little pushy sometimes, but everything can be better, right? And so you can always depend on me to sit at a table and go, but why are we doing it this way? We don't do it this way anymore. What? Maybe we could add this. Could, does someone know how to do that? Like, no, we should, we should do it for a longer period of time. No, 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 no. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm yeah. going to come in and disrupt whatever you're doing because I know that it can always be better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want that, don't invite me to the table. But if you want someone to ask those questions and to elbow you in that way, I'm your girl. I'm always going to do that. I'm always going to have a list of resources. Mm-hmm. Input is a thing for me. I love information, right? Even as simply as anything that I watch on TV, you will know about it on Facebook. And people are like, oh my God, I love your suggestions. I'm like, yeah, but this gives me so much joy to tell you that I'm watching 45 different streaming services. Don't look at my bank statement. But like, I want to share this with you because I also want you to be happy, right? Like I want you to be happy. Um, And so there are things that I think sometimes we see them as personality quirks, Mm -hmm. but if we can really dial into what they are, we can see how they've helped us be successful and how they can continue helping us to be successful in our professional lives and our personal lives. Like you just, that, that level of self-awareness is super important because when you're faced with a challenge, you then know what's in your toolkit. Yep. Absolutely. And you, and you spend that time, like you, like you mentioned, like, okay, I need to spend some time reflecting and in, in introspection so I can figure out what that is. So I absolutely love that. Another piece that I took from your dev talk that, you know, and I have notes over here, like literally. So if you're watching this, you know, I, I'm like, okay, own your career, but leaders shift structure. I wrote that down because I think one of the things when we talk about this idea of inclusion and equity and how do we, so many leaders that listen to the podcast, um, you know, are trying to figure out how do we improve representation and leadership? And something that I heard that I think speaks to what it takes is that you had a leader that one, recognized that you weren't fulfilled where you were. Oh, yeah. And that too said, what can I do, including shifting the structure of our organization and creating an entirely new area to ensure that you are able to maximize your own strengths here at our company and not enough leaders do that, right? We want to, we want to like scratch the surface of inclusion, but we don't want to go there. So my question to you is like, what advice would you give to leaders who are trying to make the workplace more inclusive? You know, I think part of it is that you have to get away from this is the way that it's ha- that it has to be. Mm-hmm. You may have to give up your vision, and that's not a bad thing at all. But you may have to give up your vision and say, God, there are many different ways that we could achieve the same goal. Mm-hmm. And perhaps this is the role that this person could could play in helping us get there. It's not what I thought when I initially drew this up on my whiteboard, but it's still getting us where we like, it's success. Yep. It's just, we're getting there differently and we're using the best of our people to help us get there. And, and by allowing people to give their best, we're going to get there in like a much better way in a much healthier way. And we could be investing in someone who's going to stay here. Right. And continue to help this place become even better than it is now. Mm-hmm. But part of it is that you have to release the narrative that you've created and realize that it's not yours. It's not yours. You know what I mean? Like nobody owns Vanderbilt. We all do. Like we all play a role in making it what yep. it is. Yep. And so you've got to, and, and cause here's the thing. I think a lot of it is just ego. We've got to do it the way that I say that we're supposed to do it because if not, then I might look weak mm-hmm. or my boss might be upset. Or, instead of saying, you know what? I've hired all these great people to do fantastic work. And so when I'm sitting in the meeting, 
my pride is not going to be they did it the way I said it. It's going to be we came together as a team and this is how we did this. And all of these people that I have been able to hire and invest in, right? Look at all these things. Look at, look at all this. Look at all that, what we're doing. Mm-hmm. That should be your point of pride, not they dotted every I and crossed every T in the way that I want it to be done. Totally. And, and I will, so my first boss at Vanderbilt, she's, she's so funny and she's one of my great friends. She's like my emergency contact in town. Um, she, she has this philosophy that I think really made an imprint on my heart in the hiring process. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, I always want you to be in the yes pile. Mm. And she says, that means here at Vanderbilt or whatever you're doing. Like, I always want you to be at the top. I always want you to get a yes. So whatever I need to do as a leader, as a supervisor, to, all, to make you that person, then that's, that's what I want to do. So, so how do I provide for your development? How do I give you different experiences? Are there things that you don't know that I can help you with? Is budgeting not your thing? Let's work on it. Mm-hmm. Have you never, you know, advised this council before? Let's do it. Because whatever you want to do next, whether it's a circus performer or you want to be a dean of students, I, it is important to me that when you leave here, you can say that person yeah. really helped prepare me, right? And that person supported me and mentored me and really has helped me grow into the professional that I am. That's, that's the leadership, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, is it? That's I mean, it. When, when I think of leadership, like that's the part that makes like leaders create more leaders. It's not about do it the way I do it, the way it's always been done, the way that's on the sheet of paper either. Even it's like change the paper, change the structure, change the system. And throw the paper out. Throw <laughs> it away. <laughs> throw it out. Away. <laughs> you know, it, but it's a it's the people aspect. You know, leadership is a relationship. And if we forget get that it's never going to work yeah yeah because that's what it is it is a relationship of people that are deciding because it's a decision you're deciding every day that you are going to come together in this relationship to make hopefully great things happen to make positive change happen but it is a relationship It, it is that's what and because it's a relationship you have the peaks and valleys of any other relationship yeah so, so good. And I would, I want to ask you about this because I think sometimes when that isn't the case, when organizations and leaders stick too closely to the paper or too close to, we've never done it that way. So we're not changing it for you. Cause then we're showing favoritism, all of the, you know, like you said, deficit thinking, fixed mindset thinking that goes on in, in, across too many leadership teams, what it does, particularly for and, you know, and there's generational impact here. So I'm just going to call out millennials and Gen Z for this to make this. Point. <laughs> but specifically for those two generations, they're looking around like, OK, how can I maximize my talent elsewhere? And so you see this influx of entrepreneurship. So I know that you're the founder of Equipped to Thrive. And so I want to share with our listeners, like, what has that balance been like for you? How do you integrate your entrepreneurship journey with your role in, uh, as the director of employee learning and organizational effectiveness at Vanderbilt? So I think the, the beautiful part of my entrepreneurial journey is that it is a direct outshoot of what I was doing all day. Yeah. Right. Like, yep. Which is love that, which means I must really love it. Like <laughs> I must really enjoy it. I'm going to do more of it when I leave, you know? Um, And I I think for me, it was also about, and luckily I had this sort of relationship with my supervisors that I could say, Mm -hmm. here's something that I believe I'm really great at doing. And I would like to, you know, leave my nine to five Mm -hmm. and continue to do this work. Sometimes it may interrupt my nine to five. Yep. And is it okay if that time that it took, I can maybe move to another day or another part of, the, of the, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because part of it is like, but, but the other part for me was, I'm always still going to make you look good. <laughs> because everyone still knows that I work here, right? <laughs> everyone still knows that. Still represent the Vanderbilt brand. I, I'm still representing your brand. I'm always going to make you look good. I'm working with college students. I'm doing the work. Mm-hmm. 
people know that you're my supervisor. So like this can work well for this entire team. I'm making great connections. I'm building fantastic relationships. This is not a bad sell here. Right. Right. And then I come to work and I do all this for you. You know, you are paying me, but it's kind of for free because I'm making a nice amount of money on the side here, people. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> what you don't know is <laughs> about that invoice. <laughs> right. So I'm, 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 I'm cutting you a deal is what I'm saying. Right. And so being able to have those conversations very honestly was quite a gift. Right. It is a balance. And I do have to say no to some things because, I, you know, my first job is Vanderbilt. Yeah. And I have to be thoughtful about that. Sure. I, absolutely. I enjoy my health insurance. So like, I, like I really do. And so, <laughs> so I need to, into that. Okay. <laughs> so I need to do what I need to do to make sure that I get my health insurance benefits. I like that. I have a check that hits every month, you know, full-time entrepreneurship was something that I thought about. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, Oh, you have to be built for that. You have to, and you know that you have to be built for it. And I think I'm a pretty, you know, tough broad, right? But like, I was like, not that stability is a thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I was raised by a single mother. Like, girl, you need to like, you know, there needs to be stability there. Everything else is value add. It's great you're making extra money. But when you get sick, it's nice that, you know, I can just pull out that little card and, get some assistance there. So a lot of it for me is about thinking a lot about what are my busy times at Vanderbilt? Mm -hmm. You know, my summers are usually lighter, so I can do a lot more of my work then. The weekends are lighter, right? Mm -hmm. I come home in the evenings, I keep working. Um, I wake up early in the morning, I work, you know, but I got to get it all done. Yeah. Um, But it is nice that my my paths, it's not like I'm making jewelry right, and right. doing professional development. Yeah, it's, you're, you're aligned. Mm-hmm. Which is helpful. Mm-hmm. It's helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great that you mentioned, you know, it being a gift that you have leaders that, that see it that way. So I, I love that because right. sometimes there is that fear for professionals who are side hustling that feel like, is this a conflict of interest? And sometimes it could be like, definitely, you know, check your paperwork and all that stuff and, you know, have those. Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. Someone who works in HR. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you work in HR and you start an HR consulting firm, like you may want to make sure (laughs) you're good. (laughs) So as we wrap up here, um, what advice would you share with leaders who are maybe in transition we're in a period where just like you mentioned you know it's it's tough it's tough out here if you're if you're looking for a new role if you're trying to transition what advice would you give to emerging professionals who are looking for their next level and then part b of that question what advice would you give <laughs> to leaders to so, to better support their team just like it sounds like you've been supported at Vanderbilt as you continue to thrive Gosh, you know, if you're, if so the first part of that question, if you're sort of looking for your, your next thing or your next level, you know, sometimes I think it's about, well, first, I think preparation is super important, mm-hmm. right? So do you have all your ducks in a row? Like get it together, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Build the things, set up the systems, get your resume, like get it, get it together yes. so that you can just hit submit. Like that's the dream life. Just hit submit. Mm-hmm. And instead of like, oh, I have to create. No, no, no. I know people who have been working for 25 years. And they don't have a resume. And I said, well, what's going to happen when there's a, a furlough? What do you mean? What? All these people have lost their jobs in a pandemic. They have no record of what they've been doing their whole lives. That's dangerous. So get, get it together, people. Like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Get a file folder, get a portfolio this weekend, get your LinkedIn together, get it going. The other thing that I would say is that because of the times that we're in right now, you may be looking at some things that you never thought you would be looking at doing. You may be looking at some companies that you're like, I don't even know what this is. But 
that could be a really great place for you to be right now. It could be a great place for you to restart and redesign. Mm -hmm. It could be a great place for you to research sort of where you are now as a professional. So cast the net a little broader. Now I'm not saying, you know, you got to like completely lower your standards. Like I'm not saying that our work in toxic, I'm not saying that, but I am saying that you might just want to, sometimes we build our own limits to our detriment. Yeah. Um, and so be a little bit more open as much as you can, you know, in, in, in what you're looking for. Um, and I think, you know, if, listen, it takes a lot more work to hire new people than to keep great people. If you have great people on your team, do everything you can to keep those people. Like, if you know for a fact, like this person, I mean, shoot, whatever they're doing in their off time, who cares? Yep. They're still showing up and doing the work. You know what I mean? And so like, whatever, don't, don't try to own people so much. Autonomy is very motivating for people. Absolutely. When people feel like they have autonomy, you know, I, I love um, Daniel H. Pink's work on drive. It's a book called drive. People love autonomy of time and um, task, right. And technique and team. People like to feel like they can own their life. When you start micromanaging people and holding people down and you can't go anywhere and don't leave your desk and you only get it. <laughs> what? Nobody <laughs> wants to live in that. That's not even living. Like, what is this prison? Like it's, it's work, you know? <laughs> so, so do your best to sort of reevaluate your leadership style and your supervisory style to, to really let people own their work life. Are the, are the results coming through? Yes. Then I don't know why we're having this conversation. Why are we talking about you coming in at 8.05 instead of 8 o'clock? Why are you wasting my time, sir? <laughs> like, what, what, what is this? Because you have all the reports that you need, right? I don't let you down. The presentations look great. I have fantastic work relationships. Please get off my back. Please, immediately. And I, I, we've, we've got to like, we've got to shake up the workplace, you know, even with this whole remote situation, the amount of surveillance that people are getting, I'm like, you mean I'm sitting in my pajamas and you clocking me? Like, I don't like, real. Like, <laughs> like you, like people who have children who are teaching school, like, what are we doing to people? Why are we treating people that way? We're, we're losing uh, a sense of, I guess, a humanness in how we work. Mm-hmm. And we've got to, we've got to rethink that. Like we have to. I love it, Crystal. This conversation has been amazing. I could totally ask you 10 more questions. <laughs> I literally wrote down identity shifts as you were talking because that piece is so, it, it's, it's literally probably half of, what's in drive through it because I'm like, I'm over here. I am grieving because who am I now? (laughs) I am no longer the Pfizer woman. And I thought I would not be affected, but I am. (laughs) You you are, you know, 12 great years, not all, you know, not all parts were great, but for the most part, it was 12 great years. And I was very young when I started there. And now who am I again? Wait a minute. You, what are you doing with your life? Yeah. Like that identity, you know, shifting and transition and sometimes the grief that's rolled up in that because we connect more of who we are to what we do than we really think that we do. An entirely different episode. So you'll have to come back and talk to us. (laughs) And especially in a town like this. Oh boy. Mm -hmm. Where you're a walking business card. Literally. What do you do? Who do you work for? Oh, okay. But that's, you know, that that's the way that we operate. You know, and before I'm like, you know, you could, you could drop the name, you know, you can drop Vanderbilt and you get a different response. You know, I could oh. drop Pfizer and it's like, oh, well, hello, Brittany. You know, so it, it, it is interesting the way that that works and the internal work that it takes to recognize it and to be grounded in, wait a minute, I know my strengths. <laughs> I know what I bring to the table and I know that I bring value regardless of if I'm signing my own check or someone else's. So listen, this has been an amazing conversation. I want to end the way that we always do. And I want you to share with us what does being a thriver mean to you? Oh gosh. Um, being a thriver to me, if I always tell people, don't forget the mountains that you've already climbed. Mm. We, we've, we've already done so many hard things 
and we forget we have like uh, amnesia about the hard times. Yeah. And I, I know why I know why you want to forget. I know why I want to forget. But let me tell you, when you remember the mountains that you have climbed, the ones that you've moved and you realize once again who you are and whose you are, listen, listen. Okay, Crystal. Listen, <laughs> listen. I'm so you like, got, I, I know we're over time. I'm trying to let you go. <laughs> I'm just, people, people have to remember this is not the oh. first. It's not the first. Yeah. So I'm just saying, remember. Remember, that's it. Remember. Well, thank you so much for what I feel like is going to be a life changing <laughs> listen for people. So, I mean, I, I'm going to have to like work on my disclaimer before <laughs> when I do your intro, um, just so that people are ready, because I'm not quite sure that I was ready. But like, yeah, this this is so good. Let us know how we can stay connected with you. Yes. Yeah, so um, you can follow me on Instagram at, at Crystal Crystal with a K in is my middle name and then Clark. Um, and you can also visit my website at crystalinclark.com. Awesome. Thank you, Crystal. We'll be chatting All right. soon. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>